0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 72 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 25th of March 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 4. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 32. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Ephesians chapter 5, which is where we have been looking. And of course, if... Uh... If you haven't been here, I think this is sermon number 72 in our series on Contending for the Faith. And it's number four in looking at the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And uh, so if you've missed the first parts, so I'm sorry, I don't have time to go back and preach three plus this one, but uh, trust and pray that uh, uh, you'll be able to, uh, to get something from what we're looking at today. Uh, Let's begin with our scripture reading again from Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we'll read verses 22 through, let's begin with verse 21 through verse 32. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their own wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Our Father and our God, we thank you again, Lord, for this wonderful privilege that we have of being in your house today. Lord, we thank you for your word that's before us. And Father, we thank you for your spirit that's within us. Lord, we realize as well, if not better than anyone here, that, Lord, we have nothing within us to offer anybody here today We pray, Lord, that you might take this time, that by the power of your Spirit that is beyond us, Lord, you know every individual here, you know every heart, you know every need, you know every burden that's been carried in here. Father, we commit these things into your hands right now and pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can, that the needs of each one would be met. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, I've said before that sometimes when we are looking at subjects like this, become a challenge because we're, uh, we're not here for a lecture. And yet I am convinced, as with so many other things, that one of the great problems that the church has today is the lack of understanding of some of the most basic and fundamental portions of Scripture. I'm going to try to give a very quick review um, and then try to to move on for uh, today, as we speak on this subject of the church and I hope it 's not like the little boy that I read about that uh, uh, his father was uh, observing his young son at the back of the church one day in the sanctuary, and there was a a plaque that was hanging on the wall i 'm sure that you 've all seen them when you go in places they 're either plaques on the walls or sometimes in churches there're plaques on the end of the pews or plaques under the windows and his dad, I mean, he looked, at, the young man looked up at his dad and he asked his dad, he said, dad, what what is this plaque here for? And his dad said, well, son said, uh, that's put there in memory of those that have died in the service. The young boy looked kind of confused and he looked at him and he real serious said, was it the morning or the evening service? <laughs> I hope that I don't put you to sleep and I hope that uh, it doesn't bring about your demise. Uh, but... Uh, it is a very exciting subject that we're looking at and part of the difficulty sometimes is that uh, the things that we have around us the most the people that we love the most sometimes get shown the least appreciation we begin to take it for we begin to take advantage of it we find that so many times just like in life that many of the things that uh, Uh, that we have there that we can become so accustomed to and so used to them just being there that we forget just how great that they are, how bad it would be without them. We've looked at this matter of the church, and the church, it is a glorious thing. We talked about a number of things that, uh, uh, again, I hope that you have, have put there and that we're building upon those we talked about this term ekklesia, the word in, in the Greek that is translated some 118 times in our English Bible, in the, in the King James Version. Three of those times is translated assembly, and 115 of them is translated as church. We find that if you take that word church when it was translated into that 400 years ago, and you begin to trace that word back through its German and right back to its Greek, You find that that word church that they used had a very significant meaning, and it meant the Lord's, something that belonged to the Lord. So we find that when they translated this word for a called-out assembly from the Greek into our English Bibles, that in the three instances in our Bible when it was just talking about some, matter of fact, it was a town assembly that was being called in order to run Paul and his cohorts out of town. Uh, That was an assembly that had nothing to do with the Lord. It was the town that was calling it. And that's what the word was used for many times, just a a called-out assembly for some specific purpose. But the other 115 times it is translated in the Bible. It's translated as the word church, which means the Lord's church. The Lord's called-out assembly, not just any called-out assembly, but a called-out assembly that belongs to the Lord. And, of course, we spent a, a fair bit of time uh, Sunday before last. We we didn't go back there last week on on, uh, on Mother's Day. Uh, we looked at something else. Uh, but we took a bit of time to look at this idea of really two different churches that are spoken of in the Scripture, the perspective church and the present church. And, of course, the perspective church, we talked a number of things. It's often called the, the universal church. Many people refer to it as, as an invisible church, and we talked about some of those things. As a matter of fact, many would think that the calling out of this universal body is what is happening when we're called out of this world at the time of the new birth. And to a degree, that's true. Matter of fact, I think some of you began to think that I was talking in circles and I wasn't even a, I wasn't even a politician. Uh, you're saying it's this and you're saying it's not that, but it is not that, but it is this, and that was kind of the way I was talking. But the reality is, is that so many times because of the confusion of words, um, we need to be careful. I mentioned to you that in my humble opinion, the term invisible church ought to be totally, completely done away with. It's not a Bible term, and there's nothing in the Bible that speaks of anything that's a church that's invisible. But it's gotten used many times to, I guess, uh, try to describe something that uh, uh, that we know is something that doesn't exist now, but it will exist when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and, and calls all the believers out of here. We find that uh, as we speak of that church in Scripture, It is something that's always future. The very the very word church itself, you can't be a called out assembly, people that have been called out and assembled together and not be there yet. And so when we speak of that church universal, we ought to always recognize and realize that is something the future. The Bible does teach us some things about it, but it's not something that is here today. And to say that it's here and yet that it is invisible brings about much of the erroneous teaching that is out there because people then get confused. They're thinking this is something that's already there, but it's something that they just can't see, and therefore it diminishes the need for the local church, the visible body of Christ, because they can somehow just be accountable to something that's invisible instead of something that, uh, uh, that is real. Uh, so we find that uh, uh, as we looked at those things, we said that uh, we wanted to move on this week. Uh, to this matter of the church that is in the present, uh, the local church. Uh, We've defined that meaning of the word church, and we've seen how that uh, it does speak of the one true church that will be together when we're called out of this world eventually. It's made up of all true believers of all time since the Lord Jesus Christ walked upon this earth. Uh, That called out assembly will all be together for the first time When the trumpet sounds, we'll be assembled in the air and then we'll be going on to heaven for a celebration after that. I would remind you as you look back the very uh, passage that we began with on this subject back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when Jesus Christ himself said, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, of course, we've looked at that passage before. We know that there's a little bit of a a play on words there because as you look at it, the the word Peter literally means a little pebble, a little stone, a tiny one. And yet that word rock that follows it, Peter, you're just a little tiny stone, a little pebble. But upon this rock, what? He just got through telling him. You know, the simple truth was that it wasn't even flesh and blood that had revealed to Peter, who Jesus Christ was, the Son of God. He'd ask him that question. And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the big stone. That's the rock. That's the massive rock. He said, upon this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We find that if you're turning your Bibles to the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, and, of course, it's been some years now since we went through the, uh, uh, the book of Acts. It's an exciting book. There's lots of things taking place uh, within the, uh, the book of Acts there. But as you look there this morning in Acts chapter 2, I want you to look specifically. In verse 40, Peter's sermon is coming to a close on the day of Pentecost, Matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Here, Peter, the same man, the same one that had denied the Lord Jesus Christ when it came to the crunch, when he was there about to be nailed to that cross, when he was there on trial, that same Peter, as he repented, as he wept, the Bible says, he came back and here on the day of Pentecost he stands up and he preaches and there were literally Jews, devout men. The Bible says they're out of every nation on earth. They'd all come together there in Jerusalem. Peter comes to a close of that sermon and I want you to notice what happens in verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Sold the possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They, continuing with one accord in the temple, And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The day of Pentecost. Now, as I read my Bible here, there is absolutely no question whatsoever, these people are visible. They're real. It's a real human flesh Peter that stands up there and preaches a sermon. When he gets finished, there's 3,000 people that believe what he just preached, and they come to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are baptized. And then that is where we find the first local New Testament church in all of Scripture. Remember, Jesus had promised it. Here we find it being fulfilled. This is the first one that you'll find in Scripture because they were commanded to wait until the Holy Spirit came upon them. Jesus promised when He left to send the Spirit back. He did. And this is what we find happening here on the day of Pentecost. Now, some people say that that is the birth of the church. Well, that's fine. Uh, the simple truth is, as, as we look and as we uh, keep these things, the thing that I want you to recognize and see right here was that it's certainly the first appearance of a local church. Uh, these people, uh, they were first called out of their sin by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then they were called out apart from this world and they were assembled together as the Lord's called out assembly. We find that in Ephesians chapter 2, and we looked at a number of passages in Ephesians leading up, I direct your attention back to, to chapter 2 there and remind you of some of the words that we read in verses 19 and 20. It says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20 says, and are built... Upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ. You see, he was the first. He is the chief cornerstone. That was the first part that went in to this church. He was then followed by the apostles that he chose himself. And he walked the dusty trails with them, and he taught them, and he trained them. They're the foundation, the Bible says here. And then these right here that we just read about in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, these were the first of those people that then began to be built upon that foundation that was put there by Christ. You see, what will one day be inclusive of all believers of this entire Church age, this, this, this age of grace that you and I live in is going to make up one true body, one true bride, one true building, that prospective church that we talked about week before last, that one true church. You see, some would like to say because of their particular denomination that we're the one true church. There is no denomination. You could be Baptist or Presbyterian or Anglican or Pentecostal or whatever it is. They're all just as imperfect as we are. There is no one true perfect church on this earth. But one day, regardless of what name tag we hang over the door, one day the one true church will be called into the sky out of all of these different... They they might differ on some of their ideas of how they do things down here. But if they're in agreement on the gospel, what it means to be a child of God, when they're called out of here that day, they'll be part of that one true church. They will be assembled right there in the sky. But the present church, you see, this local church here in Acts chapter 2 is a local church just like this one in Jerusalem. Real people. You notice the Bible doesn't tell us where they were meeting. If that many people got saved in one day, it probably wouldn't have mattered where they were meeting. They would have had to move out anyway. (laughs) Building has nothing to do with it. Too many people, when they think church, they think of that beautiful building sitting down on the corner, that edifice that man has put up there with all the fancy things. Got nothing to do with brick and mortar. Got nothing to do with a physical place. It has everything to do with people. People make the church church They have buildings that they meet in, but the building is not the church. It is the people that called out assembly. Someday we'll know all the answers that we don't know now. You know, I mentioned earlier that that some say that right here on the day of Pentecost was when the church began. Well, that's okay. I, I do understand what they're saying, and a lot of very good people and a lot of great theologians with a lot greater minds than mine would say that the church started on the day of Pentecost. But there's others out there that would agree with me as well, that I don't think that's the best way to put it. You see, that's not really the fundamental issue here. I understand why they say it, but what we see here is 3,000 people being saved and added to what is being built upon those apostles there and formed into that first local assembly ever. I believe, though, it would be more accurate for us to say that the church began with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Did we not just read that he himself was the chief cornerstone? Yes, that's the first thing that goes into the building, the church. Did we not also read that the apostles themselves were the foundation that the church is built upon? Well, the day of Pentecost is not when that foundation was laid. You see, I believe that if we really looked, that it was the Lord Jesus Christ that made that statement that we read there a while ago, I will build my church. So in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, the church wasn't in existence yet, but Jesus made a promise there, I will build my church my church. You know what? I believe he did just that, Brother Chris. And I believe he meant it right then. I believe that he began his work of building the church by laying the foundation. Yes, himself being the chief cornerstone, but those apostles that he called and was preparing. He himself He then had to go to Calvary, and he had to pay the price with his own blood when he died, the Bible says, for his church. He died for his church, which is the people. He was also raised the third day victorious, because without that, the church would not have been possible. It would have been absolutely out of question. There is no way that that assembly could have been what it was had Jesus Christ not only died on that cross, but then rose again the third day. You see, it was him that promised. We've looked there before in John chapter 14, that wonderful, wonderful promise when Jesus went to leave this world. Yes, he promised that he was going to prepare a place. Let not your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. What a glorious promise. Then he goes down and he promises. It was necessary for him to leave. It was necessary for him to go to the cross. It was necessary for him to raise the third day. It was necessary for him to be glorified. But for his work to carry on, he was sending the Spirit. Or was it down in verse 12, I think, of that chapter when he said, Greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto the Father. You see, Jesus himself. It is not only his church. He's the one that began to build it. He's the one that laid the foundation with those apostles. He's the one that through the power of the Holy Spirit that then used those apostles to call us out after he had paid the price for it and bought it with his very own blood. He's the one that has prepared and reserved a place in heaven for each and every one that will put their faith in him. They are the ones then. That he will return for one day and he'll call out of this world and they'll all be assembled together in the air. In the meantime, those whom he had called, they would be called out and assembled here on earth in local assemblies of which we're reading about the first here in Jerusalem. It's that present church not the prospective church that will be in the future. It's that present church, a local New Testament Bible-believing church that the vast majority of all the mentions of the word church in the Bible is speaking and referring of. I believe I can be very, very conservative this morning and promise you that of those 115 times it is talking specifically of the Lord's assembly, of the Lord's called out assembly, that over 90% of that, over 100 of those times, is speaking of a local, visible body of Christ, just like we have right here at Bethel. The Bible has so much to teach us about it. We find that the church at Jerusalem When those 3,000 were saved on that day of Pentecost, it was the very first of many to come, of many that would follow. Those apostles that were there that day and those Christians that were there that day, they would go from that place and they would tell others. We find that some would go voluntarily, some would go under persecution, but it was through them that that truth would carry on, that there would be other assemblies, that there would be others called out of their sin and assembled together in other places after our Lord's return. And we see this first church in Jerusalem. It cannot be denied if you read the Scriptures at all that the focus of the New Testament is upon evangelizing the lost. It's the gospel. It's what Jesus Christ accomplished. And the focus for you and I is the evangelizing of the lost, of making sure that that message is got to everyone else, those Christians. Then being assembled together in local assemblies for mutual growth, for mutual edification, for the work of Christ to be carried on. You see, it's not just a coming together. Most of the time, most there are many social clubs out there. And many people come together because there's people there that they like. There's people that they have things in common with. They like doing the same things. There's something that goes much, much deeper than that with the church, though. It goes far beyond just a desire to be together. We find that as great as that is, there's something much more at work here. You see, what we find as we begin to study is that the Lord had this all planned. This wasn't something that just happened of its own accord. It was his plan, and he gives us the design for it. He shows us what it is and and how it's supposed to work. We find that it was planned and designed so that his work would be carried forward. Folks, it comes back to the same thing religion. It's not about a bunch of religious stuff, (laughs) it's not about our do's and our don'ts, it's not about our buildings and the things we retain. Christianity, many religions are Christianity, true Christianity, is about people, people. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to pay for our sins, and he did it. He did it so that your sins were paid for because he does not want you to suffer. Remember, go right back. How many times over the years have I reminded you right back to the very First man and woman in the Garden of Eden, sin of disobedience. They didn't have to. There was absolutely no reason that they had to do that. But they did choose one prohibition they were given, and that's the one thing that they wanted to do. The Bible teaches with sin came death. We we can't begin. Our, Our minds can't even go because... We don't know anything. We don't don't know what a world without sin is like. We we can't begin to comprehend, therefore, really what heaven is like. But what we need to to, to grasp and and understand is that Jesus did it all for people. He came for people, and the church is about people. It's about getting the one message, the one message that will keep them from having to pay for their own sins. The one message that Jesus has done it all. The one message that if they will humble themselves and trust what he did and not what they do, that God's ready and waiting to forgive. You see, we find here as we look at the church that just like everything else with God, God's plan, God's design, it's so that people, can come to know Christ so that people can have their sins forgiven and so that he can be glorified because he's the one that's responsible for all of it. Not only, not only is this local church mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament, not only is it the focus of the book of Acts as it progresses through And this church grows more and more. But just remember this. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Out of those 27 books, nine of them are epistles, letters if you would, that were written specifically and directly to local New Testament churches. There were seven further letters that were recorded in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 that were written specifically to seven local churches. Two more of the books of the New Testament, Timothy and Titus, they were written because these young men were men that were being trained to be pastors in local New Testament churches, and they were being directed as how to take care of that flock that belonged to the Lord's. The ministries, the hearts of the apostles that were left here, they were all about the local church. Souls being saved. When I say the local church, again, get your mind off of those buildings. It's all about people being called out of their sin, being called out together and assembled together as the Lord's assembly that belonged to him that can then take that wonderful message and give it to others. We get so sidetracked on all of the the programs and all the things that that we want to do and uh, impressing everybody else about the things that our church does. Let us never get our focus off people. You see, the local church is an assembly of people, people that have been called out because of the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, people that have been brought together, that they can take that to someone else, the same thing over and over again. Those people, those churches being planted, those churches being organized, those churches being strengthened, those churches being edified to carry out the Lord's work. Listen to me. There's so much that is lacking today because so many times, erroneously, so much emphasis has been put upon this church universal that that can of its own definition really exist until they're called out and assembled together that the New Testament church, his value has been so decreased. I would challenge you this morning. I would challenge anybody. Take the Bible. I don't, I mean, if you want to talk, we'll talk, but Your opinions won't get far on the things of God unless you're showing it to me in here. There's all kinds of opinions. I got bookshelves of books up there that have got all kinds of men's opinions. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. The reality is that if you take the word of God, I would challenge you to show me Show me the Lord's work being carried out. Show me the Lord doing his work outside of his church. Show it to me. That was was everything that the apostles did. It was through that way. It was that way, and it was for more of them to exist. The ministry of the New Testament is towards that purpose. I want to ask you a real question this morning. If we got over at least 115 times that the church is mentioned. And if we've got at least nine books that are written just to churches and seven more letters that are written to those churches and everything that the apostles did, all those acts and everything was focused towards the church. Can you even begin to imagine how long I can preach on that? (laughs) I won't do it all this morning. The Bible The New Testament, it's so focused, and yet we live in a day when it's been devalued so very much. One of those letters to the church was in the book of Colossians, and in Colossians chapter 1, notice what it says in verse 24. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whose body's sake? The Lord's body's sake. The Lord's body, which is the church. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect In Christ Jesus, wherefore I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. My point I think that I would be pretty much on target if I said to you this morning that it would be impossible for me to overstate the importance of the church. And if over 90% of the times the church that is spoken of in Scripture and that most of the New Testament is written to and the rest of it is written about, how important is the church? Why do you think the devil sits back and just rubs his little hands together? But it can be devalued. Folks, you know, I don't... I was trying to think because I want to be... Perfectly honest, I, I I can't remember. There's probably some people I wouldn't have minded doing something to make them mad at me, but uh, I can't remember ever actually doing something to make somebody mad at me. But I've had a number of people get very upset with me over this very subject. Good people, but all that erroneous teaching had infiltrated them. My challenge is, go to the Word of God. I'm not making anything up here this morning. This is all His Word. We're trying, in this first instance, on the glorious church of the Jesus Christ, we're trying to simply devi- define what the church is. We're looking at the present church, the local church. I said afterwards, after we've done that, we're going to come back to some of these things, and we want to look at the design and the duty and the destiny of that church. I think maybe the best way, and you're not going to get it all this morning, sorry. The best way that I can do that is to bring you right back to some Bible terms. I believe we can best define the church by using God's definitions of the church. And he is the one. And you know one thing that was amazing when I got to look at it? Now, I know there's there's some other things that he says about it too. But boy, these just stood out. And Brother Chris, I didn't even have to alliterate them or anything. They all already started with the same letter. (laughs) He made it so easy for me. We find that... uh, We're going to look at this, because I want to give you several words that describes it. One is the word believers. We'll come back to this. Believers. They that gladly received the word in the passage, we said. Secondly, the word body. The word body. Now, (laughs) that's an interesting word. I read something that well, I'll share it with you. It's not exactly over spiritual, but it's pretty true. So there's four main bones in every organization. There's the wish bones. That's people that are always wishing that somebody else would do something about those problems. <laughs> and then there's the jaw bones. That's the ones that are always doing all the talking, but very little else. <laughs> then there's the knuckle bones. That's the ones that knock everything. It don't matter what it is. They're going to knock it. But then there's the backbones. That's the ones that carry the brunt of the load and do most of the work. You see, I'm glad the body is made up of more than bones. But we're going to look at that because the Bible defines the church as believers. The Bible defines the church as a body. The Bible also defines the church as a building. We've already read some of those passages. We'll look at that. Then the Bible uses another word that really, I guess, most of the time in its most pure sense would be speaking of that church universal, but it does apply to the local church. That's a bride. And I think that if we take those four words, and that's what we'll do God willing Sunday week. <laughs> Chris, unless you want my notes for next week. <laughs> if you can make much out of them. But, uh, but folks, we've got something to be excited about. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm praying about some things. And I'd like to share with you, you know, as just in closing this morning. You see, I'm praying that as we look at these things, I'm praying that we can begin to grasp the real beauty and glory of the church for which Christ died. Not some of the things that man calls churches that man has made up, but for the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The local and the universal, the perspective and the present church, the glorious church of Jesus Christ. I pray also that we can begin to see the real importance of the church to the Lord. And it would raise its importance in our lives because, folks, I want to tell you something. We might like to kid ourselves, and I don't say this to be mean. The church isn't that important to most people. And I believe if we can truly grasp what it is, if we can truly grasp what it means to Christ, then I believe the church will mean more to us, and I believe our local church will mean a lot more to us. I pray that we can begin to see what a glorious, wonderful privilege that it is to be a part of his church, his called out assembly that he's called out and where he is doing his work here on earth right now. I'm praying something else specifically for each one of you. I'm praying that you will earnestly pray and open your heart the Lord. And as you do so, I pray that you, I know you can, but I pray that you will get excited about what you're a part of and what part God wants you to fulfill in it. It's worth getting excited over. I also pray this. I pray that if you're not part of the church, If you're not part of the church universal, the prospective church, because you've never been born again, because that's the only way to get your name on that (laughs) roll. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's who's going to be called out. Or if you are a child of God, and for whatever reason, you're not a part of a local church. I pray that the Lord will just move on you in a way that he'll rectify that and that you'll grasp what a blessing that it'll be, what the Lord can do for you and with you as part of his called out assembly. Father, I thank you this morning, for the time that you've allowed us to have together. Lord, we know that we've tried to throw a lot of things into a little time. Lord, we're looking at exciting things when we talk about being part of your called out assembly. Lord, I pray now that as we come to a close of this time that you would help us to ponder these things, and I pray that in each individual here this morning, I pray that you would help them, Lord, that, Lord, whatever it is that are the needs in their life, maybe there are those that have spiritual needs that need, to have that assurance and confidence of knowing, not just that Jesus was a man that lived 2,000 years ago and died on a cross, but that he did it for them. That they did it so that their sins could be forgiven. And Father, I know that with each individual here this morning, you know what burdens they may be carrying. You know what they've entered here with. I pray, Lord, I can only pray that you would just work in each life as you know best. That you would meet the needs of each one. And that, Father, in some way we could all leave here today better people, more like our Savior, Lord, more ready and willing to be used of You to do whatever You want with us in this world around us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.